Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Lightning Dogs, the official podcast presented by the Nerdist Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdist Show programming is made possible by a comic shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. And with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit NerdistShow.com. Lightning Dogs is conceived as an all-ages property, but these behind-the-scenes conversations are not all-ages. So listen at your own discretion, baby. Woo! Sometimes a great idea is truly like a bolt of lightning. And sometimes, if you're lucky enough, you can capture the exact moment that it strikes. That's what happened for us one fateful night while recording an episode of Nerdy Show. We accidentally launched a concept that derailed the entire show and in no time, our lives. We couldn't stop talking about our favorite action figures and B-movies while twisting them into strange creatures, weird adventures, and dog puns. Lots of dog puns. This is the story of Lightning Dogs, a journey steeped in the glory of 80s and 90s animation and sci-fi, where anthropomorphic dogs tear through the wasteland of a ruined Earth, battling mutants, miscreants, and the evil Glampire. Coming soon to small screens, comic books, and podcasts. Or at least that's the goal. But how do you go from a crazy idea into a fully formed world of conflict and characters? How does a harebrained discussion become an animated series? That's what we're finding out firsthand. We've recorded the entire development of Lightning Dogs since day one. From the moment of conception to every world-building session and planning meeting, and the journey is still ongoing. Tune in as we create the world of the Lightning Dogs live. To Lightning Dogs. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Doug. And uh, we're short of Tony today, but we thought, you know what? We'll do it anyway. He encouraged us to try it without him. So we're going to go for it. It was October of 2015, and it had been almost a month since our last full crew meeting. The year-end rush was getting an early start. For Nerdy Show, or any media website, really, the end of the year isn't a time for spending with family and appreciated a bunch of close-together holidays. It's a frantic race to complete massive projects. In this case, we were in the middle of releasing an audio drama miniseries, The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program, a tabletop role-playing session that we turned into a 1930s-style radio drama. It's still one of the most complex projects we've ever undertaken, and one of our favorites. With so much going on, there wasn't a lot of time for bigger projects like Lightning Dogs, and certainly not meeting up on a regular basis. At this point, it had been a year since we'd made the ill-advised move to take Lightning Dogs behind closed doors and it would still be another year before we launched this very podcast. For this recording, Cap and I simply wanted to make a point of continuing to meet up and work on the project. The resulting episode offers a great look into where we were at this point. Not so much in the building of the Lightning Dogs' world, but Lightning Dogs as a project. We discuss new influences, ill-fated plans, 
inter-dog dynamics, and even lays some significant groundwork for one of our most criminally underdeveloped main characters. Meanwhile, while Cap, Tony, and I were struggling to find time to record, Max was keeping busy building our fleet of canine vehicles. Our lengthy email conversations had gotten even lengthier, and we reached a point where we felt like the series' trademark vehicle, the lightning rod, was near completion. But never fear, you're not missing out on anything. We record any actual conversations we have about lightning dog stuff. That's what you're getting right here. The stuff that happens on email, it's generally direction and approvals and stuff like that. Any of the actual brainstorming writer's room situation stuff that always happens on a microphone. Everything that's in an email is more of like, yes, that looks good. Keep going. Or no, we're going to have to change that. But never like explaining no story, no character, no reasons why. Just explaining that it has to happen later. I mean, there's been some back and forth with like art and so on as far as those decisions. Like and also, uh, but but also sharing images that we think I'm like, I think this is a good inspiration for a car. And then we just look at it and say what we like about it. But there's nothing about how it ties into the world, nothing about certain characters or how it ties into how they interact or anything like that. Inspiring stuff, though. And, And Max is just proving himself continuously to be like an amazing font of knowledge. He gets what we're doing aesthetically with lightning dogs and with all the different concepts that we're combining here. But also he knows cars so well that he can make this stuff believable and kind of add in a gearhead element that we knew when our first stupid ideas for lightning dogs, the cars was such a, a thing. Like we had the desert, the cars, vehicles, shit, we got to do this. But that was just not, <laughs> that wasn't us. Like we don't know that stuff. And he, mm-hmm. he does in a big way that will inevitably give our characters and the vehicles themselves a certain amount of authenticity that would not have been there otherwise. That For sure. That, yeah. That's really, that's really neat. And the thing he showed me most recently, all of us that I was most taken by was a thing called, I believe, Type B Racing. It's a band racing type that had its last race in the mid-80s. And I guess it was largely a British thing. These cars had really limited regulations on what they could have inside them so long as they met this really basic standard for the kind of chases that they were built within or something. But like you could soup it up. They were all four-seaters, but you could take out the ones in the back. It didn't matter and just turbocharge the hell out of them. Mm-hmm. Did you check any of this stuff out in the email I did, chain, Doug? M- yeah, mostly just like the YouTube videos where there's montages of certain races and stuff. And it definitely hit a certain tone for like speeding through the desert on these crazy machines. They're not the supercars that we were looking at for the aesthetics of Lightning right. Dogs. But as far as the practicality as the, of it and the tension yeah, that's the, there. The, the momentum of them, the way that they move through the environment, because these races, they're not track races. They're not NASCAR races. They're these little four door cars chugging down like narrow streets in Italy in like the countryside and especially in like dirt roads. I don't mm-hmm. know where kicking up all kinds of dust and like moving at ludicrous speeds. These are the kind of races where the driver's doing the wheel thing and he's got a guy next to him just reading off degrees mm-hmm. of the road ahead. Turn yeah. this many degrees because you're moving so fast. You can't be trusted to make the proper shift with to your stay own on eyes. The fucking yeah. road. You can't yeah. trust your own eyes. Yeah. So How it, bad is that? Like they're going so fast. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty intense. It reminded me of some of the uh, videos online. If you look at motorcycle racing on the Isle of Man, mm. sometimes they'll put front facing camera on the front of those motorcycles and you can watch that and it's not sped up. But holy moly, it's basically speeder bike chase through Endor. It's, it is insane. And in fact, I think people die there every year whenever they do yeah. uh, one of those races. And, but. and that's why Type B was banned because mm-hmm. people were dying because crowds were flocking to these things and like were insane to the point that touching the cars was like good luck, like reaching oh, out and touching them. There was this thing that was not it's not a story that anyone's ever been able to like corroborate. But 
a driver like got out of his car after the race, closed his door, and like a finger fell off of the side view mirror. It had been like caught. Oh jeez. Like, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't sound that crazy considering people have to reach out and touch it you know like they want to they want to touch the car as it's going by at like you know 90 miles an hour yeah and just beautiful shots the shots were what got me i was like we need to take this shot here and this shot here and this shot here we slap the lightning rod on it and just change the background and that's it there was one where it's like um i don't know what region what tribe but an aboriginal type african person wearing like robes and such with a walking stick like that kind of aesthetic mm-hmm. standing by the side of the road Huge mountains in the background, desert wasteland, car just peeling, kicking up dust. I'm like, that's it. Mm-hmm. You replace that person with a wastelander and mm-hmm. done. That's the show. It's true. I guess it also helped the fact that this was all filmed in the 80s. <laughs> it's just yes. like it had a certain aesthetic because <laughs> the cars had the right aesthetic and the way it was filmed had the certain aesthetic. Uh, it was it was great. Makes me feel good about uh, the direction that we're moving in that that we know it's a good mix, you know, that we know that it can be great visually, like not just not just in our brains, but like see other things that are similar enough to it where we know we're going in the right direction. And, and the other degree of, uh, I suppose you could call it discussionless lightning dogs work is that we've been going deeper and deeper and deeper into the web research holes as far as like the aesthetics and the visuals of lightning dogs. And we haven't created the aesthetic manual for the look of the show and everything yet, but oh man, the resources we have, like, I don't know that they'll ever see the light of day. Maybe we can publish like an article that'll have like all the proper accreditation because you couldn't what? squeeze it in there. You couldn't squeeze all of it into an article. You, you, you really could. That's the like, thing. It's like we're, we, we were looking we, just before we sat down, you were showing me some photos, the latest batch of my reference photos to dump into the lightning dogs archives. Yeah. And those, these lightning dogs archives of just reference photos is getting so big. You put it best when you were like, you know, I, I just get lost looking at some of these because like there's so many of them and you just scroll through and you scroll through and you click to the next one, you click to the next one. You feel like you're getting a virtual tour of the wasteland. And you're like, what else is out there? If I click the next button, what else am I going to uncover? And what is that? And it's, it, it, but it's great. And I, I wish there's a way we could put everything into this. But it's like at some point we're going to have to start cutting stuff out. And like, I, it, I mean, just hope, hopefully and, over the years we can. It's so good. Like I want you guys to see this so badly. Just not even. It's crazy. Not even to see the lightning dog stuff, but just to see the fucking photos. Just, that a, we, just the world that it, they live in. It just just the world. And, and we we yeah. we yeah. live in an amazing world, you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because these are all real photographs. These aren't concept paintings. Some of them look like like you said. There's like look at this one. This looks like it came out of a video game. And I'm like, it does. It's it, just a hallway. That was the Bulgarian Communist Party, I guess, building which was inexplicably almost like a monument, even though it seems like it's an assembly hall, was built in this remote countryside. Bulgaria, oh my God, the brutalist architecture, the Soviet era work that was done there, I am enraptured by it. And I found this blog called the Bohemian Blog. That's this amazing dude whose unfortunately name I can't remember at this moment. He runs it. He travels all over the world, all kinds of places. He's even been to Florida to visit the mysterious Coral Castle, which is a place I've been pushing Doug to do an episode of Ghostbusters at for years. (laughs) And it's incredible. But a lot of the coolest work he's done has been in either Russia or former Soviet countries. And the stuff from Bulgaria, particularly the brutalist architecture, is amazing. And um, Dude is actually, as we're recording this, he is out there in Bulgaria right now with a lucky few of people of his Patreon supporters and backers and so on, showing them around the great brutalist architecture of the country. I found about this only days before he went. If I'd known maybe six months, I would have actually attempted to go. Though the prices aren't listed. I have no idea how much this would cost, and that would probably stop me right there. But, (laughs) But 
I backed him on Patreon. I could not like I, this. This <laughs> guy, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. doing Lightning Dogs a massive favor. <laughs> like he's we, doing the master's work. He, <laughs> he is. He's doing, he's doing the master's work. Like, we, like I have. I just went through there, and we're going to be sourcing so much of the amazing places that he's photographed. Like incredible buildings. I cannot wait to work myself into a spot where I can have enough free time to even attempt to. I don't know if it's going to be via Photoshop or if I'm going to watercolor. I don't know what I'm going to do, but just to get Glampire's domain on paper, because the stuff that I've seen now, I know what it looks like. I just got to put all these disparate locations together into one massive, incredible locale. It's amazing stuff. So obviously, we, there's like Doug was saying, there, there's too many photos. You know, we'd never be able to officially publish something, but maybe online we could source the accreditation needed to be able to show you these yeah. pictures that we don't have rights to that we're taking great inspiration from yeah well the idea is that if we're taking inspiration from it we're going to hopefully bring you something even cooler oh yeah our own stuff is going to be an amalgam of all of this stuff together all the best and again we're bringing something that i feel is really truly unique in terms of how this wasteland is going to look with like all these abandoned buildings stuff because you can look at these bohemian blogs and you click everything else and be like oh i can see where they're going but hopefully what comes out the other end of this crazy machine that we're building is something that you really haven't seen in cartoons or hopefully even in live action television either yeah, and, and it's to, to a certain degree, I hope we're not biting off more than we can chew. It, it is kind of daunting. I can um, understand that worry. I just feel like because we're designing the entire universe now, it seems much bigger. But at the end, the end user experience yeah. is not going to get that whole thing <laughs> and, blasted at them from, and, from the very get-go. We are losing ourselves in the visual aspect. We do need to get back to brass tacks effectively and get back on the train of finalizing our characters, our crew, enough to finish the story Bible from what's already been done and get the first pilot script ready. And then the next step is to get the voice cast together once we know, you know, what we're going to attempt as this as this demo of the show. Yeah, you heard that right. At this point, we were still thinking the next big step for us was to create an audio drama version of Lightning Dogs, specifically a pilot which we'd launch as a proof of concept in hopes of funding a series. You might remember from our early episodes this notion of doing the animation without the animation and putting the audio drama skills that we've honed on other Nerdy Show programming to use in making a scripted Lightning Dogs podcast series. It would be an exciting way to bring Lightning Dogs to life, but compared to comics or even brief animation demos, we realized it wasn't a short-term goal that was going to truly push the project forward. Heck, with all the voice casting, music composition, and sound design we need to do, it wouldn't be a short-term goal at all. But for the sake of giving you the full documentary experience, let's explore what exactly we had in mind for Lightning Dogs, the audio drama, and the challenges that we foresaw. What we wanted to debut with was the launch of Patreon simultaneous to the pilot so that there could be sort of an industry. We bring Lightning Dogs into the spotlight, and there's content there. There's already content, and we have these recordings and so on. That's the idea. But we're disappointed that you know, due to no true fault of our own, that we haven't been able to up the timetables any, and that we're sitting on moving on those aspects of the project, like as far as releasing them, as far as showing something, because we feel deeply indebted to everybody who's been with us for this whole ride, and that by virtue of us wanting to make a bigger splash to grow Lightning Dogs beyond Nerdy Show, but then also to give all the fans, old and new, something reliable to count on. As a result, that means everybody has been getting nothing from us for months now. And I feel terrible about it because we've been working on it. I want to talk about it. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if you're listening to this now, then that means you are getting it. So right. you got it delayed, but you're still getting everything. Yeah, everything I mean, we, which, which is always the goal. I just feel bad about how long it's taken. You know, that's what's bugging me. Like, I'm wondering if could we start doing something we plan to do all at once, like early? 
could we launch the Patreon early, which would mean we'd be releasing this show before we do the Bible stuff. But also casting, recording, editing, the Lightning Dogs pilot, there's kind of an imperative that we pull in at least some degree of known voice talent for the sake of making sure this project has note outside of the realm of you guys who are already aware of it. To get people interested, there has to be a name. You either know the name Nerdy Show or you don't. If you do, hopefully that's like, cool. I know they do awesome stuff. Great. But <laughs> it ain't going to be Nathan Fillion. But if we got to say a Nathan Fillion on board, then we would have the legions of Nathan right. Fillion fans ready to just be like, I'll check it out. I don't care what it is. Yeah, yeah. And then they'll, they'll, <laughs> they came for Nathan Fillion, but they stayed for Lightning Dog. Hopefully, yeah. We want to include as many folks from within Nerdy Show as we can because we have some great talent here. But these voices are not necessarily all of them in our own wheelhouse. We might get local actors that we don't know yet. We have yet, you know, like actually open auditions and all that and see what we can get like on a budget because we got to start this cheap. Never mind the fact that we do need some kind of animation, even if it's just the animatic level on the Patreon video to sell what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And that that's got to be recorded, edited, meticulously laid out. So we look like back this and you know what you're getting. Oh, it's really challenging to figure out the best way to structure that, the best way to pace it. So, yeah, this is the kind of discussion we don't usually let end up on these kind of shows, but only because it's kind of boring, but maybe interesting. So here it is. <laughs> Lightning Dogs audio dramas are still something we'd love to do, but it became apparent that this early into the project, it's a confusing step. Maybe not so confusing to you, the awesome people who've been following our journey, but for people just discovering Lightning Dogs, it's hard enough to explain that presently we're a documentary podcast. Like Cap alluded to in this discussion, we were getting very conscious about how long it's taking us to lift back that curtain and return Lightning Dogs to the public eye, or to even complete the goals we'd set for ourselves early on. For instance, back in Episode 7, we made our first steps towards finalizing the characters of the Lightning Dogs, but realized we couldn't write their backstories without knowing more about the world they came from. Since then, we'd intended to resume our character work, but got sidelined with vehicle design, looping in new collaborators, and the more freeform process of building other aspects of the world. Squaring away with the character backgrounds required more homework, and more formal planning than the loosey-goosey schedule that we'd fallen into. The characters that had yet to get any hands-on attention were Dingo, Kane, and Narisa. But just because we hadn't had a formal meeting to compare notes didn't mean that they hadn't been on our minds. Narisa, in particular, needed a lot of work. In fact, recently on the Nerdy Show forums, Delphi called us out on it. She said, I feel like there's a rather harsh question that needs to be asked. Is Narisa really necessary? I've loved her character ever since the very first sketch, but in every episode that has discussed the dogs, it feels like she either gets ignored completely or she receives the dregs of whatever is the topic of discussion. Maybe it's just that you haven't gotten around to talking about her at length on the air, but it feels to me like she's only there to keep the gender ratio even. From where we are in the timeline right now, that's a totally fair assessment. Narisa hadn't gotten the work that she deserved, but we're happy to say that her character develops significantly into a fully functional and unique member of the team. And it begins right now. Doug, you were doing a little bit of work with Narisa, right? Yeah, because way back when we split up the six characters, two for you, two for me, two for Tony, I got Pierre and Narisa. And we already did our first round. We, we knocked out three of them. But the one that I still have to work on is Narisa. And um, I don't have anything like written concrete just yet, like a for sure backstory. But I do have a lot of inspirations, um, things that I uncovered along the way. Because um, one of the things I tried to do when I sat down was I looked at what is the human version of these lightning dogs? Like what was some of the inspiration? Like what famous fictional character or even real person 
could I look at and say, I want this lightning dog to be like that person? You know, like uh, the, the, always has, a good place to start. Yeah, has who who has some of those virtues that I want to instill in this character? Because they have a sense of what I want with the character. But to give an example, who do we already know is like Narisa? For Pierre, clearly there was influences of like Bruce Lee. But um, for Narisa, I kept coming back to Ellen Ripley from specifically the first Alien. Yeah. And I obviously I like the Alien series a lot. And I'm a fan of uh, James Cameron a lot, especially his early work, <laughs> except for Piranha 2. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, what he did with Ripley in the second one is great and it's phenomenal. But the reason why I'm focusing specifically on Ridley Scott's first Alien version of Ripley is because she's just doing her job. Right. Cameron brought her into a position where she had to be a war hero. Yeah, which is great. I mean, right. her character arc is phenomenal. I don't necessarily want to go with a similar character arc, but her starting point in Alien of like how she sort of views things, she's kind of she's pretty practical, it seems to me. Anyway, so I started to research and I did some of the things. Now, one of the early things that we said about Narisa was um, her possible rank would be a warrant officer. Yeah. Guess what rank Ripley has on the Nostromo? No. I shit you not, <laughs> warrant officer. <laughs> Some of the quick ideas that I wrote down about Narisa is like even-tempered, practical, likes to follow protocol, tries to avoid social drama, like any of that social BS, totally able to step it up and be a leader she has to, like if the situation calls for it. And this is before I started to make the comparisons to Ripley. Right. Because like a warrant officer, I have here copied from like Wikipedia, the definition of like more clearly defines what a warrant officer would be. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Warrant officers command detachments, units, activities, vessels, aircraft, and armored vehicles, as well as lead, coach, train, and council subordinates. However, the warrant officer's primary task as a leader is to serve as a technical expert providing valuable skills, guidance, and expertise to commanders and organizations in the particular field. Technical warrant officers in the Army are specialized in single-track technical areas such as intelligence, maintenance, or military police and provide direct advice and support to commanders. That's so much. That's, yeah uh, but like that's great like if that's her character she's she's like mvp <laughs> yeah no no for real like i can i can see her because the it's whole like, operation hinges on her doing her job well because um let's say for argument's sake that she was a civilian because you can be civilian and be i guess you can be brought in as a warrant officer from the outside because of your expertise right 
if that's the case, then it's like, okay, well, maybe she didn't enlist in the army. Maybe she didn't work her way up through. Like, Dingo, Pierre, Angela, I see them as army. Like, they enlisted or they were drafted and they've been living in the army for a while. That's yeah. their life. Narisa probably didn't come from that. And if she's a warrant officer, but not like a first lieutenant or something like that, that would explain it. Maybe she came from the outside. And what skill would she have that would have other people look at her and say, we need her for lightning dogs? You don't just become a warrant officer for the Navy SEALs, you know? Mm -hmm. So, like, what is it that she's done? What, she must have some sort of notoriety in something. So I started to think about her life before the war, her life maybe during the war. We, we don't know exactly how long the war went on. I was thinking, what if she was born during the war? This is assuming the war goes on for a while and not just like a two-year right. thing. You know, the war would be 15, 20 years. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking, at least. And if the war was big like that, she was probably born early on in the war. And she seems to me, I don't know why it stuck out to me, but sort of like a French underground resistance situation going on. Like maybe her father was not in the war fighting, but yet he was a civilian. If she grew up with a family, and if well, let's just say she lived in Lycos, we talked about the bombing of Lycos. If the only surviving members of her family are maybe, let's just say her and her father, they could then say, fuck this, we're joining the resistance, we're going to start fighting back where we can. She's got nowhere to go. He's not going to put her in an orphanage. It's like, well, sorry, sweetie, you're, sounds like you're in the war effort. You're going to be cleaning guns while everyone else runs out and does this. So she can sort of have a history of when she was little, having to see people leave and not all of them come back and right. having to be like really um, scrappy, just has to, has to be able to fix things with duct tape and WD-40 and whatever it takes to win this war effort. Improvised explosives, you know, like anything that they can scrounge together from the junk in order yeah. to make to make this happen. The point is that she grew up with all of this and she has a very specific set of skills honed over an entire lifetime of, of fighting a war with very limited resources. I'm sure at some point, if she's in the quote-unquote French, the Lycos resistance against whatever bad guys are incoming in here, and then you got the good guys coming in over here, she would be in early contact for the good guys. Right. And they'd be like, tell us, you, you, you have boots on the ground. Tell us, what, what's the intel? What are you seeing? Where can we strike them? How can we help you? What can we give you to do your job better? And through those kind of contacts... By the time it comes time to form the Lightning Dogs, they're like, well, shit, we know a woman who would kick fucking ass. Without the official open support of our military, she was able to lead people and really kick some ass and, and deal some devastating blows from the inside that would lower the defenses that would allow the military to come in and, and we would not lose a lot of lives. Right. So she, she can have a really special type of education that isn't formal, very informal, rather, was the direction I was going in. Great. She, she has this informal education about war, about strategy, and about the technical aspect of it, like especially the weapons. So we said originally maybe she was kind of like a quartermaster. I think when she goes to Earth with the Lightning Dogs, it is more of a warrant officer. If they split up into two teams, Alpha Team, Beta Team, you got Alpha Team as the soldier team, Dingo, obviously the leader of that team, yeah. with Angela and Pierre. But then you got beta team. You're definitely getting kids not going to be a leader. And Kane Corso is not going to be a leader. Narisa is not just leader by default in that case. She's there for that reason. She's there to right. be number two. To manage the staff of specialists. Exactly. That puts her in the mentorship position with kid as well. Mm -hmm. That puts her in a role of leadership whenever they have to split. Or even when they don't, it's like if Dingo has to make a tough decision, he's got to smooth it over with Narisa. It's not just him going to Angela saying, hey, Angela, you're the old and more experienced one. What is your advice? But you need to convince Narisa as well. This is a two-way street. Like The two of them are both basically two leaders for different reasons. He's obviously got the combat, like in the middle of the combat expertise. 
he was assigned as the leader. It's his job. It's like literally his in his job description. Narisa is like the backup leader. So if something were to go terribly wrong, if Dingo was ever out of commission, leadership shifts directly over to Narisa. And I think that puts her in an interesting dynamic with the other team members. Because before, we didn't really know exactly what she was doing. What is she, the mechanic? Is she the, uh, the quartermaster? Like, what is she exactly? Although it doesn't sound as clear and simple as quartermaster, I think this gives her character way more stuff to do. It makes her definitely more interesting. <laughs> Weirdly, she's like the Donatello of the group. She's not like the super genius aspect of Donatello that's most noteworthy. But if you look at all the incarnations of Donatello, he's the one who's like, Yo, guys, I just invented the pizza thrower. Right. I feel like Narisa would be the person who's like, they're stranded in the wasteland. Narisa's the one who's like, guys, first thing we got to do, we got to fix these cars. Because I can tell you right now, this will not be able to survive the desert. We didn't know what to expect when we came out here. We had these three vehicles. We thought we could handle most of anything. But we got fucking Glampire after us. We've got Halloween Jack. We need to beef these things up for real. And she would have to get together with everybody and help recreate these vehicles. Like, they might be under her guidance. Right. And when it's time for her to, like, reveal what it is, she'd be like, I'm calling it the lightning rod. You know, and this is, this is what it does. And she's the one who would explain how this stuff works. Not because she's a gearhead or the scientific expert, but rather she's a good leader. She knows how to get people to do these things. Yeah. Because, again, I don't, I don't want her to be the kind of background character who's like, oh, when they go off and do this, I'm just going to sit here and not do anything, and I'll be their support when they need me, but rather she can be proactive in her own way. Yeah. Plus, it creates more drama among the team when Dingo says, we need to move and do this, and uh, Narisa says, you literally can't do that because we don't have XYZ. It's like she's more in touch with what everyone's actually doing, whereas Dingo is out of touch because he's kind of the loner character. Right. So Dingo could be the guy who's making the demands, and Narisa's the one saying, we can't do that because of this. Sort of a Kirk and Dr. McCoy bounce back and forth. Right, because McCoy's not on the bridge, but he's really important. And, and, he's he, all, and he yeah. always manages to get involved in like the real serious shit. Yeah, and he's also telling him, look, you can't do that because of this. If Kirk is like, we need to find a way to get out of here and do this thing and to cure this disease, he's like, Jim, you can't do that because you're leaving these people behind. You're going to leave them here to die. You know, like, I mean, now granted, that's a medical doctor. That's his job. That's how he would point out these kinds of problems. Right. But Narisa is a leader in her own right. She can't overwrite Dingo necessarily because he is the, the ultimate leader of this group because that's how the, the hierarchy is going to work. Yeah. But if there's ever any doubt, if Dingo is going to be in question or if, if there's an episode where Dingo's brainwashed and they're like, you've been compromised, you know, you're not fit for duty. Boom. Narisa's in the captain's chair. The more I'd thought about it, the more like if you take any two lightning dogs and mix them up, like take Dingo with Kid. Is there an interesting story to be had there? Take any two lightning dogs and say that they're stuck in a cave somewhere in a cave. And the others are trying to get them out and these two are stuck in the cave. Yeah. Can something interesting happen with them? And I think, yes, in every case. I think there's something... Yeah, every single one. Yeah. So that was kind of the direction I was going. I'm like, okay, well, Narisa, how do we make her an interesting person? How do we make her a full character who's not just there? I just fix things. Like, what is her actual personality and purpose? Again, leading back into Ellen Ripley at the start of Alien. She's the one who, when the captain is outside the door and says there's something on his face, open the door, she says... No, <laughs> like it's just, I'm following protocol. This is your protocol. I'm not opening the door. I'm like, God damn it, Ripley, he could die. And she goes, Yeah. And if I open that door, we could all die. And guess who was right? You know, like at the end of that story, Ripley was right. And she could have saved everyone else's lives. It's easy to, on the outside, for a first impression to make her, no pun intended, come off like a bitch. <laughs> but, um, uh, but I don't think that's how she will come off. She won't be quite as prickly, at least seemingly that way. As people treated Ripley. People treated Ripley kind of with... Uh, like she was an ice queen. Yeah. yeah. Although I don't get the real sense that she was, but yeah. that's how they treated her in the first film. I don't see Narisa being that way either. She's just proven reliable. Right. And they know she's been through some shit and they trust her experience. 
tying into Dingo, when I was looking at more fictional characters, this ties into the other James Cameron thing, which is I keep coming back to Kyle Reese for Dingo. Right. I mean, we talked about Corbin Dallas. Yeah. Which I still really love. I want, like, I, I definitely we, want that in there. <laughs> we got to make sure that the characters are as like fun. Oh <laughs> no, like, for sure. This is the hardest but what, part. But what I'm, l- l- let me kind of backtrack and explain what I mean by Kyle Reese. I don't mean he's going to be Kyle Reese because uh, the other characters. I have this sort of collage going on for uh, each character. I have a folder and I'm dropping in photos if something strikes my fancy, even if it's just the clothes that they're wearing. So for Dingo, I've got Corbett Dallas, specifically the scene where the guy tries to rob him in his own doorway, and <laughs> yeah. he's like. Well, you got to hit the button on the on the side there. And he's like, ah, ah, OK. And the guy hits the button. And he's just like, OK, there you go. You got it. You know, just that kind of he's he's co- he's <laughs> cool so about it. You know, it's he's so, so fucking good. cool. So definitely that. But I also included Michael Bean's Kyle Reese and Michael Bean's Hicks from Aliens. And I don't know if it was a, a subconscious thing. To make it Michael Bean, because I was already picturing Ripley for. Do you like, want us to reach out to Michael Bean? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> what I'm saying is like could. I'm seeing this sort of subconscious crossing. Why these two characters specifically? Like I had Ripley in mind for Narisa before anything. I thought for Dingo, and then when I'm thinking about Dingo, I'm thinking, oh, uh, Hicks and Ripley kind of have a thing in Aliens. I don't want to take the one female character that we have who is going to be stuck between. Ooh, is she going to date anybody? Like I don't want it to become that, but. I do think that if it does eventually lead to a place where they're stuck there for a long time, would she be interested in either Pierre or Dingo? And I think that's a cool little love triangle. And I hate even bringing that up because that sounds like I want to force something in there like that. And I don't. But I do think there's room to go there for there long enough. I don't think we need to open with it. I don't think it needs to be part of the first episode or anything like that. But I think like the longer time goes on much in the same way. The little love triangle between Riker, Deanna Troy and Worf. (laughs) You see see what I'm saying? That kind of thing. I mean, the thing is, is that I think both of us are, are equally like nervous about approaching that. We see the possibility and we're like, and I see it going bad and I don't, I'd, I'd rather not even do it at like all. We, risk it going bad. I mean, it's difficult because a thing that keeps people coming back to shows sometimes is the shipping that can happen. Right. And uh, I think that, you know, like I, it's like, I even joked when I said that you get like a part of that, we drew out of a hat and I got Narisa and Pierre and I was like, Oh, I ship that. You know, it's like, yeah. I even already at the gate, I was like, I can easily see them button because the, 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 the charisma. The, yeah, they're the two people who are going to be working very closely together mm-hmm. and that are relatively the same age. And there's one that's like a live wire and one that's like fun, but probably isn't going to put up with the shit. So and plus they're th- with her being in a sort of leadership position, she can relate to Dingo in certain ways. Yeah, she can relate to Pierre in certain ways. And that's all, that's it. I'm not suggesting she likes one or the over the other. I'm not suggesting there's even going to be and, romance. And in, in some ways, like rather than saying and this is what's going to happen mm-hmm. i kind of want to see what happens because they're going to start out with no relationships exactly like, like exactly. In, in that regard how do they grow how do they right? learn more Un- about unless each other? of course it depends on like you know how long has this version of the lightning dogs team been in effect how long have they been together like it could be interesting for example if narisa and dingo had a relationship at one point and they decided like eh you know i mean there's a version of that that works but i'm rather fond of the idea of that the uh especially it's, the civilian it's better side, for us yeah are thrown to, together to have a clean slate in that Espe- regard yeah especially since they're going to be discovering who each other is like uh, when you're stuck in the wasteland and then you finally have these conversations with these people at first she may not get along well with pierre at all because he's a, you know he's a smart mouth right insubordinate dingo is just the leader but he's kind of cold at first he's kind of stoic yeah but the more you get to know each of these people the more you can relate to them and that's true of any of the characters yeah but and i just wanted to set it, i wanted to create narisa in a way that she would fit between the situation of like she can relate to dingo with several things 
and she can relate to Pierre for several things. But those things are separate. Yeah. So it, like that to me makes it interesting when she's talking to each of them. But back to Dingo with these characters mixed up or whatever, I started to ask myself, well, what about these three characters other than two of them being played by Michael Bean? What about them was drawing me to it? All of them have military background. They were soldiers. They'd seen some heavy shit. They also kind of tend to speak with a softer voice. So instead of like the leader being like, come on, gang, let's go or let's do this. It's, it's more of, you know what I'm saying? There's Ninjas a, fight with honor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is great for turtles, you know, whatever. But I'm seeing Dingo and not being like the emo downer depressed guy, but the guy who's just like, all right. Let's go and do that. You know, it's kind of like just a little bit more subdued in a I way mean, that would people, hopefully draw pe- you in. People love Kyle Reese. We know he's a great soldier. Yeah. But like you see in that film, his sensitivity. But the other clear influence on Dingo is Mad Max. So again, that's a character who doesn't talk that much. But when he does speak, he's kind of, all right, you know, let's go. Let's I, I'm just, just I'm, like, there's, I guess like, and I love that in those characters, but I'm kind of wondering in the 90s 80s cartoon show bombastic thing that we're channeling here can we make that work for us well, even, we're, even not, looking, we're not trying to make a show that would work in the 80s we're taking inspiration from that right but i'm looking at the at character dynamics and television series and like in cartoons with large cast specifically if you look at either avatar show or gargoyles they don't have a single character like that and i'm not sure it would have worked if they did well i mean even um corbin dallas gets loud I mean, it just depends on the situation. I'm just talking about general personality temperament mm, okay, kind of thing. Okay. I'm not saying like his literal voice needs to be quiet all the time. I'm just saying like demeanor and tone and he seems a little bit more introspective a little bit. And, and again, I don't want to go the emo route of like, oh, I've seen some bad shit and leave me alone. It's, it's more of just he's kind of a hardened soldier and uh, he is that kind of loner. He is the dingo after all. For him to open up would take a lot and not because he's an asshole. And, and not because he's like, I'm scared of, of giving my heart up and being hurt, but more of just like, that's just not who he is. But he does have humor. He does have wit. He does have these things. It just doesn't always come out like Pierre. Pierre is the loudmouth. Like anything that comes to his mind, he's going to spit out. Dingo's more of the guy who would think before he speaks. When things are quiet and they're back at base, he's a little bit more Kyle Reese. When they're out shooting up people, he's definitely more Corbin Dallas. I guess that makes sense. Someone we haven't mentioned is Angela in regards to... Oh, yeah, I'll tell you what I got. <laughs> All right. In her, in her folder, now I don't have it as in-depth as what I just said about Dingo and Narisa, but in, in the folder for um, all the images and stuff is... Uh, Rambo covered in mud in the rain against a tree. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, Wolverine doing any of his stuff. Like We've always described it as a what, neat, tiny knee-high Wolverine was right. the original description. Wh- which is also Wolverine because he's, he's, the saber-tooth calls him runt. He's short. That's true. He is short, yeah. But I've always seen Angela as being the soldier who should have PTSD, like the one, like the <laughs> right. one who's really like I, I joke about like, oh, Dingo, he oh, he's seen some shit, blah, you know, whatever. He has seen some bad stuff, but Angela's done bad things to live. She has come out the other end a very different dog than when she went in. Having her be that kind of really dedicated to the mission Rambo, John Rambo sort of thing. And we've talked about this before in these kind of meetings. Yeah. And I, I agree with it completely. But I bring up Angela mostly because we're talking about the love triangle between Dingo, Pierre, and Narisa, like because they're all relatively the same age, because that makes sense. Ram- the- Rambo's not interested in a romance. Now, that's the thing. I've only seen First Blood. Mm-hmm. So I, I know sometimes he gets paired with ladies. I think that happened. In, in, in First Blood Part 2, he does get paired with a lady, but it's not really a romance. She clearly likes him. Uh huh. But it seems more like. The only hint that you get from Rambo is this hint of, hey, 
maybe if we make it out of here alive, I'll take you to America. Because her dream is to get out of Vietnam. You know what right. I'm saying? Well, wasn't, that, there, wasn't there a, a female character in the last one? Yes, but that is certainly not a romance. Okay, I, I have no idea. That's more of like, she's a young 20-something missionary in the jungle in Burma. And he's like, you go out there, you're going to get killed. And they're just like, well, we got to save people. He's like, fuck people. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's good. It's a good movie in its own way. If you're a fan of Rambo and you haven't watched the last one, just watch it. Come on. If you're still a fan of Rambo after the third Rambo, you're going to love the last one. <laughs> but yeah, Rambo's not there to make himself a better person. He's not there to have a romance and have a fling. I don't see Angela being interested at all. She's going to look at all these people as a little bit younger than her, and she's there to right, I mean, make people safe. I don't know if I can personally relate, but to make it a point of their psyche to invest themselves in like, how am I going to hook up? I'm lonely. And you know what? Like, I'm going to say something here that may sound really naive mm-hmm. or unexperienced as well. I mean, I'm not a soldier. I've never been a soldier. I've never seen combat. But maybe perhaps the reason why she's not into that kind of relationship with people is not a defense mechanism, but because when you go through some serious shit in something like a Vietnam, the experience that you share with these people, with you, like these battle brothers, when you come back from that, how do you have like a normal relationship with anybody? Well, I mean, it's hard from all things I've, yeah, I've you know, like, seen and heard. I mean, may- maybe she tried relationships and they just go bad because you just don't emote enough, honey. You know, it's like, <laughs> you just, I just, I can't read you. This, it's over, you know? And then she's just like, well, fuck you. Like, I'm putting in an effort. And if he doesn't that well, one I've ever you. counted on is me. Yeah. And I brought you in and I'm going through all these feelings. And, and she's I'm like, fine I don't... by herself. That's the thing. Angela does, does not need a person right. to make her whole. Right. Like, she has seen shit. She knows herself. And I feel like there's two ways that this kind of character works. Mm-hmm. There's Zoe from Firefly, who is, straight-faced, stoic, soldier character who has a husband who she loves very, very, very much. She's still kind of like really stoic and weird when expressing it to other people, but she warms up to him exclusively and they Mm -hmm. have a a relationship in that regard. The other side of it is completely stoic, like I'll trust in myself and a different part of that I'll trust in myself I don't really need a relationship is that inevitably, unless you are asexual, you may want that comfort, but it'll be done in a really matter-of-fact way, which also speaks to her being an older character, the same way that senior citizens, like many of whom are swingers, the older you get, the freakier you get, she may view sex and relationships as something that could be a little bit more streamlined. It might be fun or funnier for like Angela to be the kind who's like, much like Logan is when he's not pining over some long-term person like Jean. Mm -hmm. Is she chill enough? Is she open enough that she's just Yo, let's cut through the bullshit, the pretenses. Do you, I think, I think like, back on, back on Domus, right. sure. Yeah, so, ba- so, back on so, Domus, she's, she's chill enough to just be like, hey, um, I'm, out, I'm out looking for some action, and I'm just not looking for anything attached right now. Yeah. Uh, what are you doing tonight? No? All right, later. She so doesn't need that. Within the realm of Lightning Dogs, I don't see that necessarily happening with any of the characters no, on the yeah, crew. No, no, no. Yeah. But it could happen with the Wastelander, if they ever got comfortable enough with, yeah, with, whatever. with the people who live there. Or if there's like like on Lost, there's a flashback episode of them back on Domus, right? You know, whatever. Yeah, basically, like the conversation I'm inciting is with Angela. Like, is it possible? I can yeah. imagine writing that scene, and for people seeing it for the first time, it being like really disarming. Like, whoa, whoa! I didn't well, know she was into people. <laughs> but that's not gonna be on of panel not. for no, us. No, 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 of so. course not. But I always imagine her attitude of, if anything, just maybe being asexual, where she's just like fighting and dying for decades alongside some of these people. It's gonna harden you up. And not even like, again, it's not even a defense like, oh, if I love somebody and they just end up dying of old age, I get my heart broken. Like not even a cynical point of view, but just a point of view of just like, look, I've lived a long life and I've loved people in my own way. And 
the work it would take to have a relationship with somebody, it's too much emotional effort. Right. And not out of a place of cowardice, but just out of a place of like, look, I rely on myself. I'm living just fine. I got friends. I've got battle brothers and sisters. I don't really need a personal relationship. And I, th I think that that can feel honest. Right. And be something that's not really represented. Well, I mean, before. like, as far as like her nature, like, is she going to be crazy like Rambo all the time? But, but you, if the other comparison was Logan. Logan's mm -hmm. a guy who's very much like the Ronin warrior, mm -hmm. but he's a man who also loves passionately. And that's one of the things that like mm -hmm. redeems him in spite of everything else about him. There's a line from uh, Black Hawk Down, which I think was quoted from a real soldier. I don't remember the exact details, but um, at the end, when uh, Eric Bana's character is like quickly eating some food and he's like loading up to go back out there, and they're like, you're going back out there? This is like the third time you're going out there. Like, but, but, but we're safe. We made it. Why are you going back out there? And he's just like, I have to. And, but like, matter of fact, not like he's not being heroic about it. And like, but, but you don't. That's the whole point. Like, we're safe. We're done. And he just says, no, nah, there's probably still a few people left out there. And Josh Hartnett is like, he's like, he just, I don't like, he just doesn't get it. And Eric Banner looks at him. He's just like, you know, when I go back home, everyone always just asks, why do you do it? Why do you, why do you keep signing up? Do you got some kind of death wish? Are you suicidal or are you addicted to the action? Do you like violence? He goes, I look at him and I just don't say a fucking word because that's something they'll never understand. You don't do it for you. You just do it for the man next to you. And that's it. And that's all. And then he walks away. And it's just like, shit. <laughs> like, you know, it's like it says so much with saying so little. I definitely feel Angela would feel that way at first going into Lightning Dogs, sure, yeah. like into the story. But the longer the show goes on, the more she warms up as a human to these friends of right. hers, does she get a little bit more sentimental? Like at first, these are just compatriots and these are just like the coworkers and the ones who are also stuck here. So they have to work together for mutual survival and she does respect them. But the more time goes on, the more they become family. I, I think that's going to be, that's going to be the point. Yeah. We have to show that. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, otherwise, yeah. Otherwise yeah. she never changes at all. No, yeah. I, I agree. But I'm just saying like, that's the hook that would get people interested. Like, where is she going to go from here? And the only answer is like, actually love them like a family, you know, by the end of it and just grow as a human being, when, even though she has a lifetime of experience and seen this, all this crazy stuff. You know, it's funny. I was just, I just had a thought. I was like, because I think about like, well, who's the other, the other member of the team that we're, we've neglected a lot. And the, the answer is Beast Town because he's a relatively simple. He's character. a dog. We, we don't need to worry about Beast Town and Beast yeah. Town's arc. Yeah. Like it's we're about his bark. That's what we were. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, worry about that. But I was thinking like, well, about the, the handful of times that we visually represented Beast Town. One of which was a picture I did. It's a very bad picture. I do not like it much at all. But it was Narisa and Beast Town in the Wasteland. Because I was thinking, like, well, who's, like, the closest to Beast Town? Who's going to clean up his messes? Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Corso, uh, clean up on all three. God damn it. <laughs> like, it, it's, it, might, it might end up being Pierre. He might be like, ah, you know, like, I like, oh, I like, yeah, oh, like yeah. this guy. Narisa like, would send Pierre out to go clean like, up that shit. But, but in that picture... I fucking drew Narisa looking like Ellen Ripley. Like she's got a. Oh, she, did you? I gotta she, find it. She has a weapon that's not a flamethrower, but it looks like one, and it's got the same kind of strap on it and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll be damned. Yeah. <laughs> what I do like about this is not just Beast Hound and Narisa's outfit and everything like that, but you also got the crazy architecture in the background, or, or lack thereof. But, 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 but yeah. a hint, a hint of, yeah. of of weird architecture, yeah. of like that they're in the ruins of some strange building. And that's what's really cool. And also it looks yeah. like B sounds like he ripped an arm off of a ghoul or something like that because he's like, he's chewing on something. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a cybernetic arm. <laughs> oh, a robot arm? I couldn't really tell if it was a robot. Well, you no, know, it's, it's meat and electronics. Oh, okay, I got you. <laughs>
it's bad, but cool, I well, guess, I mean, in retrospect. This, this, this <laughs> other picture of Narisa you got where she's got like the pistol. Yeah. That jacket is straight out of Aliens as well. That's true. Different I mean, it setup. Is dif- it is different enough. Like that's actually a mix between Aliens and Blade Runner kind of thing. Yeah. Which was, you know I'm all about. Yeah. So that that's fucking great. That's in there as far as God. I'm concerned. I kind of love her look. Yeah. So much. <laughs> I cannot wait to get to spend more time with Lightning Dogs visually. Like that's what I'm working up towards. I'm trying to keep a nerdy show's palette in general vacant this year end of 2015 you know doing the usual year in projects but not doing anything extra because i need that free time for lightning dogs i've been kind of neglecting it so i mean we've we've all been uh been doing our best yeah but real life gets in the way i don't know that there's a window but if there is a window of retro future apocalyptic throwback which seems like there's there's plenty of it out there in the world there's the rabbit animation. I forget what it's called. Goofy. Nin- Super Turbo Atomic Ninja Rabbit. That's the one. Yeah. You memorized it. <laughs> I, they only said the name like eight times <laughs> to a song. And of course, Turbo Kid and Kung Fury and, and everything else. It's, it's got the throwback vibe to it. Like, you know, I hope that it's not a fad and that there's not a window that's going to close and, on us. And Lightning Dogs will strike when the moment is right. That's the hope. I'd like to think Lightning Dogs is eternal. Lightning Dogs will be good anytime. <laughs> But uh, it's been you know, good since we thought it up. I don't think we're we're a fad or a trend or that we're really playing to what is a fad or a trend. But, you know, you got to look at the chain of coincidences and think like, hmm, all these projects probably started around the same time mm-hmm. that the lightning first struck for lightning dogs. And uh, the difference is that we've been in less of a position to move as quickly. I'll give it to you straight, folks. It's hard. Balancing a day job with the work that we do on Nerdy Show and developing lightning dogs. There aren't enough hours in the day. And we're still figuring out how we can trim up, pare back, or otherwise reconfigure our lives to make more time to develop this series, or die trying. But one thing's for sure. Your help on this perilous journey makes a world of difference. Thanks to your generous support on Patreon, we're making enough to continue to fund Max's artistic services and cover other production, promotional, and business expenses. Next up, we're raising funds so Greg Wiseman will review our pitch bible. And from there, well, there's lots we'd like to do. But our biggest goal is earning enough that I quit my job and go full-time on Lightning Dogs. It's such a big deal that it's a goal the Lightning Dogs Patreon is sharing with the Nerdy Show Network Patreon. Having someone other than Cap working full-time wouldn't just be a life changer. For us, it would be a world changer. There'd be so much new Lightning Dogs content, I'm getting antsy just thinking about it. Don't forget, Not only is there the Patreon where you can support us and get early releases and exclusive content, but you can also help fund Lightning Dogs and all the shows on the Nerdy Show Network by shopping through our Amazon links at nerdyshow.com slash Amazon. Or you can buy some Lightning Dogs merch on the Nerdy Show store. Currently, we've got t-shirts, but we're looking into other cool stuff as well. If you don't have the money to spend, but you want to help us out, you can rate and review us on iTunes to increase the chances of other people discovering our show. Tell a friend about us, or share your love of Lightning Dogs on social networks. Or join the Nerdy Show street team and put up posters and flyers all over your town. Head to lightningdogs.com to find out more about that. In the next episode, well, we're going to put a bow on that lightning rod design. And after that, at long last, we're going to work out the full histories of Dingo, Kane, and Narisa. There's lots more Wasteland adventures in store, so we'll see you next time on Lightning Dogs.
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, 